Here are a few of the headlines that we saw back in March and April. Maybe you remember some of these. U.S. coronavirus cases doubled in a week. What if this lockdown is only the beginning? Virus kills more Americans in month than flu kills in a year. Second wave could be worse. Coronavirus drives New York hospitals to breaking point. Food distribution systems break down. Millions of Americans say coronavirus is a wake-up call from God. As of a few days ago, 21, over 21 million uh, people worldwide have contracted the coronavirus, resulting in about 758,000 deaths. In the United States, there have been about 5.5 million cases, resulting in over 170,000 deaths. And that's amazing when we consider that in January, many of us never heard of a virus called COVID-19. In many ways, most of us have never seen anything like this. In the first, uh, at the first of the year, we all had our plans for 2020, didn't we? Whatever they were, you can forget them now because the virus has put the whole world in a virtual timeout. Billions of people have learned to shelter in place or at least change their plans because of an enemy that we cannot see. We wear masks and or gloves when we go out because we don't know when or where the virus will strike. Back when COVID-19 was new, there's a question that I heard being asked, and I heard it often. Is this virus a sign from God? My mother, who was living in a nursing home, said to me on the phone, this is a sign of the end times. And as I thought about that, I came across an article written by Joel Rosenberg called, What Does the Bible Teach About Pestilence, Plagues, and Global Pandemics? And in this article, he shows that the Bible uses the word pestilence or plague at least 127 times. Starting with Moses calling down the ten plagues in the book of Exodus and ending with the various plagues mentioned in the book of Revelation. And in between, we have some other striking examples of God using pestilence as part of his divine purpose. In Numbers chapter 16, 14,000 people died because of a plague. In Numbers chapter 25, people died because of a different plague. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, 70,000 people died because of a pestilence sent by the Lord. So if you think God doesn't send pestilences as a judgment, then you haven't read your Bible carefully, especially the Old Testament. In order to focus our thinking today, though, I would like us to concentrate on three questions many people are asking today. Is the coronavirus a sign of the end times? Does this worldwide pandemic signal that we are living in the last days? How can we know for sure? Well, let's start with the last question. How can we know for sure? And the answer is we only know what God wants us to know. In Matthew's Gospel, the 24th chapter, beginning with verse 36, we read, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father 
knows. Now, if you hear anyone claiming to know when Christ is coming back to earth, uh, you know, he'll be here by September 15th. He's coming during the Feast of Tabernacles. If you hear any of those things, I invite you to run the other way. I mean that literally. Run from anyone who claims knowledge that God has reserved only for himself. For 2,000 years, multitudes of guesses have been made about the date of our Lord's return, and the only thing we know is they've all been wrong, at least so far. However, the Bible is clear that one day Jesus is coming back to earth. The New Testament reveals various signs of his coming. We can read about some of them in Matthew chapter 24. Here's the background. On Tuesday of Passion, Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem where he pronounces final judgment on the religious leaders of Israel. And then he leaves the temple area with his disciples and he crosses the Kidron Valley and finds a place to sit on the slope of Mount, the Mount of Olives. And Jesus then begins to, uh, to explain the world events that will lead to his return. In Matthew 24, verses 1 through 8, we read, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all, these, all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations will go to war against nation, the kingdoms against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When the disciples comment about the beauty of Herod's temple, Jesus replies that a day is coming when the temple itself will be destroyed and not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown thrown down. Researchers in Jerusalem have discovered the stones of the temple still lying along the road where they were thrown down by Roman soldiers 2,000 years ago. See, for centuries they were covered by rubble. The recent excavation offers dramatic proof of the literal truth of Jesus' words. When, his, when the disciples heard this prediction, they asked Two questions. When will all this happen? And what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And in his reply, Jesus doesn't exactly answer the first question. He skips over 2,000 years to discuss the events surrounding his return to the earth. In Matthew 24, 4 through 14, Jesus reveals to us six signs of the times. And as we study these verses, keep in mind that we have a, there's a double reference. These signs are true and present in every generation. 
and they will be especially visible as we approach the end of the age. Sign number one, spiritual deception. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. So the first sign reminds us that religious charlatans appear in every generation. As we approach the end of time, increasing gullibility will lead to a rise in spiritual deception. People will follow anyone who speaks with authority and promises to help solve their problems and give meaning to their daily life. We should not be surprised by the words of Jesus that such teachers come in my name, but they are deceivers. Sign number two, international conflict. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We live in an age of commotion and upheaval, don't we? Leon Trotsky once uh, commented that anyone seeking a peaceful world picked the wrong century to be born in. And his words seem truer today than ever before. An article in the Daily Express lists six hotspots as the most likely places where war might erupt. Iran, Israel, Turkey, Kashmir, North Korea, China. These are just a few of the current hotspots scattered around the globe. Sign number three, natural disasters. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, Jesus said. This means that there will be upheavals in nature itself as we move down the final path that leads to the return of Christ to the earth. Some are predicting that the coronavirus could cause global famine of biblical proportions. And if you've been watching the news, you know that there are situations, especially in Africa, that's made worse this year by a locust invasion, the worst in 25 years. Upheavals in nature. Sign number four, fierce persecution. Verse nine, then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed and you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. This is a verse no one likes to read or memorize. It's too negative to be popular, and yet here it is. It's clear, it's easy to understand right from the lips of our Lord. He told his disciples to expect the worst because he knew that they would be persecuted for their faith. We see that happening around the world today in places like China and India and Africa and so many Middle Eastern countries, but opposition to Christianity is on the rise everywhere, including Europe and including the United States of America. Sign number five, widespread apostasy. Verse 10, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Now these verses paint a picture for us, a picture of unprecedented 
religious apostasy, a word that means falling away from the truth in the last days. Especially to apply to so-called Christian leaders who depart from the Christian faith. They support positions and values that are not biblical. They do not preach the message of Christ's salvation because they don't even believe the gospel anymore. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Sign number six, worldwide evangelism. Verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. This sign may seem surprising because we are used to thinking of the signs of the second coming as purely negative. These verses give us a clear picture of a worldwide spread of the gospel in the last days, and as we rush headlong into the final events of human history, multitudes of people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me take a few moments to focus back on the third sign that we mentioned, that was the one on natural disasters. Matthew 24, 7 mentions famines and earthquakes in various places. Luke chapter 21 Verse 11 offers us some additional information. Luke says there will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. Now other translations use the word pestilences instead of terrifying things and interpret that to mean infectious diseases of every kind. Maybe in an earlier time, leprosy or smallpox or the plague. Maybe more modern times, it's Ebola or SARS or the coronavirus. A pestilence is any deadly disease that impacts an entire community. And the term pandemic describes an epidemic that is spread to several countries. The amplified version of the Bible gives us some useful a useful expansion of Luke's uh, words. There will be mighty and violent earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences which are plagues, malignant and contagious or infectious epidemic diseases which are deadly and devastating and they will be sites of terror and great signs from heaven. Now what are we to think about all of this? First, pestilence appears in the Bible in many places, correct? Secondly, uh, God seems to use pestilence to get the attention of his people. And third, pestilence will figure into the events of the last days. To put it in a broader perspective, Revelation chapter 6 talks about events happening in the closing days of human history as the world experiences enormous suffering just before Christ returns to earth. It talks about world conquests and wars and famines and death. And what a rebuke this is to modern people who dream of longevity. We spend billions of dollars a few extra years, don't we? We diet, we exercise, we invest in the latest medical technology, we dream of world peace hoping that the nations of the world will one day just all come together and love on each other. 
But when Christ comes back to judge the earth, there's no amount of technology or peace treaties that will save us in that awful day. Famines, earthquakes, and outbreaks of disease have been with us since the beginning of time. They are with us today and will be with us tomorrow. These things, bad as they are, do not in themselves point to the last days. Instead, Jesus says that they are like labor pains as one world dies and another one eventually takes its place. How close are we to those end time sufferings and ultimately to the return of Christ to the earth? Well, Jesus warns about the dangers of too much speculation. As bad as the current situation may be, things may be a lot worse yet before that day comes. Or possibly things may be much better in, a, in the world even by next spring. No one can say with certainty there is a flow or a tempo of world events that is controlled only by our Heavenly Father. And the Bible seems to indicate that in the last days before Christ comes, the world will seem to disintegrate before our eyes. The very systems in which we have placed so much of our confidence will ultimately fail. Chaos will spread across the earth as men and women cry out for a leader who will bring them peace and safety. And in those frightful hours, a person of peace will rise with a promise of deliverance for those who follow him. Millions will do so to their eternal regret because that person will prove to be the ultimate false Christ. And the Bible also teaches that there will be pestilence in the last days. The world will be afflicted with diseases, maybe even far worse than coronavirus. So is the coronavirus a sign? Well, it very well could be. But we shouldn't take it in isolation. Consider how rapidly this invisible enemy has spread across the world. People have asked me, do you think God can speak to us today? Yes, I certainly do. But he doesn't have to do it with tornadoes and earthquakes, with bombs or missiles. If God wants to see the world brought to his knee, its knees, all he has to do is allow the release of a tiny virus. Billions of people were in lockdown. Economies have been turned on end because of a virus that no one can see with the naked eye. Was the coronavirus prophesied in the Bible? I don't think so. Not specifically, at least. Maybe it's a foretaste of things to come. If we can imagine pandemics even worse than coronavirus, we can easily see how such a crisis could lead to a one-world government. In fact, that's what former British Prime Minister Gordon Brown has suggested we need. Even though he says it would be temporary, we know that unscrupulous leaders would surely try to hang on to global power. But this crisis has reminded all of us of our inherent weakness. We aren't as strong as we thought we were. We aren't as clever as we thought we were. This invisible enemy has brought the world to its knees. But we will gain from that if going to our knees causes us to turn to the Lord. 
On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gave this remarkable promise to his disciples. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Note that Jesus doesn't say, I have overcome your trouble, but rather he says, I have overcome the world. Our Lord is telling us, don't worry, I've got this. And at that moment, we are still not in, at this moment, we are still not in the final phases of this pandemic, by any means. As hard as it has been these days can help us if we waste them. We might even be glad that we sheltered in place if we end up thinking more about God and eternal things. It's as if our Lord in heaven hit the pause button and said, it's time for you to slow down. It's time for you to reboot. It's time for you to refocus on the things that matter most. According to a recent poll commissioned by the Joshua Fund, 44% of Americans believe that the coronavirus is a sign for America to wake up and turn back to God. 44% of Americans. I would be inclined to agree, but certainly not just America. Maybe one of the greatest lessons in these last few months has been the need to seek God, to pray that he help us not waste these days. Remember that our The Lord Jesus uh, told us that these things would happen, but then he said, don't panic. Those are the words of the Son of God. Don't panic. Times of trouble reveal the content of our hearts. Christians ought to be the calmest people on earth because we know the Lord and he holds the future in his hands. Jesus even said these things must happen. The coronavirus outbreak did not surprise God. The Lord is seated on his throne. He's not pacing the floor like some in the media wondering what's going to happen next. When chaos breaks out on the earth, perfect peace reigns in heaven. In a very practical sense, what should that mean for us? First, we need to return to the Lord. That's where we must begin. It's time for all of us to get serious about our Christian faith. Second, we need to release our anxiety. We live in fear when Jesus has promised never to leave us. Let's live as people of hope. And third, we need to reaffirm our faith in Jesus' return. I have friends who wonder, is this the end? Maybe it's a signal of the last days. We will know the answer, I think, soon enough. Remember that our hope is in the Lord. It's not in medicine. It's not in science. It's not in technology. It's not in politics. It's quite possible things will get worse, maybe even before they get better, but let's be ready for Jesus to return. And then let's make sure our friends and our loved ones are ready as well. There are many things we know and many things we don't know about the future, but this much is certain. Jesus is going to come again, and his coming may happen sooner than we think. My question is simple. If Jesus comes today, will you be ready? 
If he comes tomorrow, will you be ready? If he comes in your lifetime, will you be ready? If this really is the last generation, the smartest thing that we can do is to give our life 100% to Jesus Christ. That way we will be ready if he comes today or tomorrow or next week or next year or in 100 years. But we live as if Jesus may come at any moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that Jesus is the risen, ascended, and glorified Word of God, whose words never fail. Thank you that Jesus is the living Word of God whose promises stand fast forever and forever. Thank you that no matter what happens in this world and no matter what trials and tribulations we may face, we know that we can hold fast to your word of truth, which can never fail. So God, we pray that we may faithfully fulfill all the work that you've called us to do with a cheerful heart as we watch for your return. Keep us busy serving you until you come again to restore your kingdom among us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.